You are listening to episode 80, A Mother's Message, Raising Black Boys in America. Welcome to this week's episode. I am so excited to welcome Anidra Roots. She is a mother and creator of the Instagram handle Raising the Roots Boys. And she's joining me for a series that I created on this podcast called A Mother's Message, where I share perspectives from mothers all over the world on raising their kids, things that they're going through as mothers to share perspective. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to share my experience and just to talk about kind of my journey and what it's been like raising three Black boys in America and soon to welcome the fourth. Well, I'm so excited about this because we connected on social media and Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about, like I said, a mother's message, raising Black boys in America. Why did you start raising the Roots Boys? Yeah, so initially I started it as a online journal diary to document my pregnancy with the twins. They were conceived via IVF. And so it was a way for me to connect with other twin moms, other IVF moms. And it soon just evolved into this beautiful space and community that I created and connected with other parents who have similar experiences. And now it's uh, still an online journal for the twins, but it's also a resource. It's also my advocacy for them, for other children and parents like them. And so it's just been really beautiful to build this community with other parents who have similar experiences. So it started out as more of obviously sharing your pregnancy journey, but tell me more about what it means to you to raise um, Black boys in America today, because like you said, it transitioned more into that. What kind of prompted that transition? Um, Honestly, when my children started to experience racism, you know, before they were a year old, um, jokes and comments, microaggressions, those sorts of things. And I am determined to not have them have the same experience that I did growing up as a black woman. And so it really triggered a lot of my own trauma as it relates to racism and the color of my skin and growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood. And that's when I decided to do my own inner healing or that that's actually when I realized that I still had some inner healing to do in order to be their advocate. And so after the murder of George Floyd, which happened 15 minutes from our house um, and also happened two days before their second birthday, um, it really hit me that I was celebrating their second birthday and I sat there and I said, how many more birthdays am I going to get with them? And that was a very sad, um, sobering moment for me. Uh, And, you know, the death of George Floyd, I think, opened a lot of our eyes. I mean, I think most of us knew to some degree what was happening in the Black American community. But I don't think when you visually saw that, I think it opened up everyone's eyes that, no, this is actually documented in front of you. There's no way that you can say this, that, or the other. There is no justification at all. Like I think so many non-Black Americans would say, well, this happened, right? There's always an excuse, but no, there really is no excuse um, for for this and for the murder of another human being. And, um, you know, I can only imagine what that felt as a mom and, you know, watching your beautiful boys grow up and want the best lives for them, like any mother would, and then seeing and having to maybe not even explain to them because they're so young, but just 
having mm-hmm. you, you're even seeing that. And one day you may have to explain that to mm-hmm. them, you know? Mm-hmm. Last year at this time, they didn't understand as much. This year, they have a lot more understanding as they just turned three. Uh, my husband's an artist. And so he painted a few murals of Gianna Floyd, of George Floyd, of Breonna Taylor. The twins were on the couch with us as we watched the verdict happen. They watched the tears and the relief and the anger. And we have been very transparent to the best of, you know, what a three-year-old can understand. And they know George Floyd. They know the name. They know what he looks like when they hear it, you know, on the news or on the radio station. We talk about what happened and we have to. It's a privilege to not have to talk to your kids about that. You know, we explain to them that there are people that are going to not be nice to you because the color of your skin. And the sooner we have those conversations, the easier it'll be for them to understand when they experience something, you know, at four or five and can really understand like, wow, um, this was discrimination or wow, this was racism. Yeah. And you mentioned that, you know, you saw some microaggressions happen towards them, even when they were infants and younger, right? Um, Were these coming from strangers, from people you knew? You know, tell me more about that. Yeah. Unfortunately, there was a joke made by a family member of mine. When we were, you know, outside, there was a tree that was dropping cotton everywhere and it was getting in their faces. They were babies. They were four months old. And the family member of mine um, said, well, at least they're not picking the cotton. And I'm black. I was adopted. Yeah, I was adopted into a white family. My parents are white. My siblings are white. And so these were the jokes and things that I heard growing up my entire life, really. And so, yeah, at six, you know, four months, six months old, you know, comments about them. Wow, their, their skin is getting so dark from the sun. Last year, there was a comment made about their hair by a Costco employee. And so it's just been continuous for their life. And I hear those things growing up and they impact you, but it's a different way. But when you become a parent, like that mama bear mode, that like instinct to like want to literally hurt someone that just hurt your child is so real. And I think that was the moment for me. It was like, no, my children will not have the same experience. You will not have access to my children either if these are the comments that you've made. And so it's been a challenging thing to navigate uh, from strangers, unfortunately, family members, uh, which should be the people that are protecting and advocating for you. That's just not always the case for us. Well, I imagine that seeing that same cycle of racism yes. or microaggression that you experienced and wanting yes. to protect your child from that is, again, mama bear, but any, yep. any parent would want that. Is there anything that you've done or that you've tried to do to help protect them or open them to like understanding what's going on? Or do you feel like they're too young for that right now? I've created space. It's been really a positive of the pandemic is that the intentional space between family members and other yeah. people. And then just the conversations. Like I said, we talk about these things. I had a falling out with a neighbor um, after someone had called the police on my brother, who is Black, who was at our house. And, you know, I voiced my frustrations about it. And she, as a white woman, shared how she was offended that I said I hated living in a white neighborhood. Mm. And I don't have the energy or the time to explain to someone in 2021 why that was so scary and triggering could potentially be fatal for my black family to have a police officer show up at my doorstep. 
And so that falling out just happened. And my children were close with her children. And I had to explain to them in a way that they understood. And I just said, mommy had a situation that was very scary. And I didn't feel supported. And, you know, what she said to mommy wasn't kind and supportive. And so sometimes we just can't be friends with people if they're not going to support us. And that's the way I explained it to them. And when they ask, you know, they'll see her, we're neighbors. And, you know, they'll say, yeah, you didn't feel supported, did you, mom? No, I didn't feel supported. And if we don't feel supported by people, it's okay to end relationships. It's okay to not be friends with people that don't support us. Yeah. And this might be a segue to what you just mentioned, but what sort of obvious differences do you see in the way your children or even you are treated Mm -hmm. in society? Like you mentioned, obviously, having your neighbor calling the cops on your brother, Mm -hmm. but any other obvious differences for how you see people view your children or yourself Mm -hmm. even? Mm-hmm. I'm in an interracial relationship. My husband is white, although he has very olive skin tone. And so sometimes he is mistaken as a person of color. But for the most part, you know, when we're out, people will make comments. You know, one of my sons is a lot lighter skin and actually has blonde hair. We have no idea where his blonde hair came from, but he does. And that's the beauty of, <laughs> you know, mixing races. You yeah. just don't know what you're going to get. And you know, just comments about his lighter skin or comments if he's mine just because his skin is lighter. And, you know, those sorts of things is how we navigate our communities when we're out and about, Um, you know, comments about how many children I have, whereas, you know, we're out at a carnival and there's a white family with six children, you know, and did Mm. they get that same comment? Probably not. The hair is a big thing. The microaggressions around the hair is a very frustrating topic for me. And it's one we've had a lot of conversations with the twins about is you tell people not to touch your hair and to make comments about your hair because we will literally have random strangers like petting them. First of all, we're still in a pandemic. Second of all, you don't touch someone's body without consent. And I understand the intention behind it, but it is a microaggression. You know, it is. And you don't see that happening with other white children who might have straight blonde hair, you know, or straight brunette hair. But because they have big curly hair, it's just like people can just not help themselves. And it's very frustrating. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would not be the same thing that Mama Bear, like, why are we needing to touch anybody's hair in a pandemic or not? And and I, you know, a lot of it, I don't understand if people feel like that is like being accepting, but it's not. I agree with you. Like touching any child or touching a human being is not, um, it boggles my mind sometimes. And I feel it too. I mean, as an Indian American, I mean, the comments that we get, it's like, do we really think that that was being inclusive or do we think that that was being accepting because it doesn't really seem that way. Um, So, so many things that I'm like, wait, what just happened? Like you literally feel like sometimes you're like, did that just really happen? And do you even say anything at the moment? But I wonder probably not because you almost are like in a blur, like, is this really happening right now? Yeah. You know, in the beginning I was very Mm -hmm. shocking because it's happened to me. Like I've literally been in a meeting Mm-hmm. at work with, you know, all of my colleagues white and come to work with braids or come to work with my natural curls out and have had people touch me. And it's so shocking. Sometimes you don't know what to say in the moment. And then, you know, time passes and you wish you would have said this. Yeah. But we were actually in California and we were waiting for ice cream on the street and the boys are kind of dancing around the sidewalk. And I was telling them to come over by me because people were walking by and this older gentleman 
put his like whole hand on top of Sylvie's head. Mm. And I moved his hand and I was like, do not touch him. Do not touch Mm. his hair. And he was so startled by that. But Sylvie was also so startled by him touching a complete stranger. And, you know, he was very apologetic. And I think he felt bad, which, okay, that's your feelings. But I just don't get it. I've never had this urge to just grab someone else's child, especially a child who you don't know if they have, you know, certain disabilities. You just never mm-hmm. know. So I just, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But I say, oh, yeah. so I have to. And I tell the boys, you can say, don't touch my hair. And they've learned, like, you know, if mommy's doing her hair, they'll be like, oh, mommy, can I touch your hair? You know, because I'm brushing it. Sure. Like, they've, they're learning that. Um, And they'll come home from school and tell me, you know, so-and-so touched my hair. And I said, how did it make you feel? And, you know, they'll say, oh, I didn't mind it. I said they could. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But remember, you can say I don't like it or you have to tell people to ask you first. So that's really the biggest thing. Um, And it's just, yeah, it's just mind boggling. Yeah. And like you said, I just don't get it because it's not something anyone yeah. should be doing to any child um, yeah. or adult. Yeah. Um, so the fact yeah. that it happens and also we know that it's coming with the hair and the microaggressions yeah. associated behind that. I mean, that would add a whole different layer than I think people don't understand. Um, exactly. And it's stuff that when you're already, especially your childhood, right? I know that mm-hmm. also triggers stuff from your childhood and you're like, yep. absolutely not. And I'm sure that guy was taken, I don't know, maybe he was taken aback and he might have been like, why, you know, people don't understand why as a mother, we may react like that, right? right. Like you're going to react like that because there's a reason to react like that, right? There's, right? there's history here. The action that that person is doing is coming from a place of, like I said, microaggression. Like it's not yeah. just a simple no sometimes. Sometimes right. it's like, no, get off of my son. Like, right. do you find that anyone has ever looked at your reaction in a negative way? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I don't think that's fair. And I, I, I'm yeah. happy you're bringing that up because I feel like I'm, I'm being very honest. Like if it was a white mom, who had the same reaction, Yeah, there wouldn't be the same sort of, whoa, yeah. whoa, why are you getting upset? You know? Yep. yep, absolutely. If it was my black husband touching your white son or daughter's hair, yeah, you know, and it's funny because I joked to my husband, I was like, one of these times I just want to like pet their hair back, but that grosses me out. Like I don't want to touch <laughs> yeah. someone else and, you know, and I understand consent, yeah. but like I would love to see the reaction if I then just started like, putting my hands in their hair too. Like, I don't think anyone would find that to be comfortable at all. Yeah, totally agree. And that's really hard. Um, Is there any other things that you've seen, like differences in the way, you know, your children are viewed or you're viewed in society? How was, in terms of your labor delivery, did you have any sort of issues there or you felt really supported? Yeah. So up until it was about time to give birth to the twins, I felt very supported. You know, I know that there's a high rate of infant and mother death when it comes to being black. Um, But it was so interesting because at about, I would say, 32, 34 weeks, my OB started pushing for me to have a C-section. And I didn't know what I know now then, but I knew enough about it to challenge of why are we scheduling a C-section when there's so far no medical necessity. Mm. And it got to the point where I was going to change providers. And I said that to him, I said, you know what, if you are uncomfortable, or if it's just easier for you to schedule the C-section, I will find someone else to deliver this baby. And then he finally started to back off. And, you know, I know that there's risks with birth regardless. But for me, it was 
why schedule something if there's no medical necessity? The babies were healthy so far. I was good so far. Both of them were head down. And thankfully, you know, I didn't need to. And he was actually out of town when I went into labor. And so I had another OB deliver. Oh. She was fantastic. And I was actually happy about it. I was like, I worked with you this whole time, but I had a different one. It was great. I felt empowered. It was a great great birth with the twins. And thankfully, I ended up switching clinics after that experience. And with Myra's birth, same thing. It was great. I'll have the same OB, hopefully delivering the baby that's coming in a couple weeks. Um, but thankfully, in that arena, besides the pressure of trying to have a C-section, I haven't experienced, you know, anything discriminatory or anything that I felt really impacted my ability to give birth. Oh, that's so great because yeah. I recorded an episode, episode 64 for anyone listening that wants to listen to this about racial disparities in maternal health. So I'm so glad mm -hmm. to hear that your experience ended up being positive and that you advocated for yourself. I mean, yep. you talk so much about advocacy and sometimes we just don't know how to do that. But everyone, you have to listen to that episode 64, yeah. where I talk about why this is such an important topic to allude to in this episode and why it's important for our children, whether you are a black woman or not, why it's important for all of us to understand this. I'm happy everything turned out well and that yes. you really pushed for yourself. That's so awesome. As parents, we take on a large mental load. Have you ever thought what may be interfering with your happiness? Is something preventing you from achieving your goals and true happiness as a parent? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. This is professional, confidential counseling done securely online. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available with services available worldwide. I want you to start living a happier life today for you and your family. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash peds. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash peds. Therapy helps. And with BetterHelp, you're one step closer to taking charge of your mental health. You know, this is such a, such a great conversation with you already. You know, it's just so hard to hear all of this because, um, well, it's important to hear all of it, but it's hard because I know that there's things that we can do maybe as a society. Mm -hmm. um, I think when, when people listen to this, and I hope people are really understanding why there is a difference, you know, mm -hmm. there is a true difference raising black boys in America versus raising white boys yeah. versus raising Indian boys, Asian boys. There's a difference here. What is your biggest concern for your children's future? Like when you look at the climate in America or even in the world, what kind of keeps you up maybe at night sometimes? Oh, man, you know what it is? It's when they get to be the age of 9, 10, 11, 12, and they want to start being more independent and playing with friends. Mm -hmm. I just have this, I think about Tamir Rice, and I think about where we live now is is not racially diverse and we're hoping to change that in the next couple of years before they start school mm -hmm. um but i have a lot of fear about when they go to their white friends houses and how they will be treated differently and we were at a carnival this weekend and there was a white boy who had one of those little like cap guns i think they're called and i just had so much anxiety thinking about here he is freely running around a, a carnival shooting this gun. Mm -hmm. and if that was my child, how different that would be. Yeah. First of all, we don't do any sort of guns in our house and we never will. No water guns, squirt guns, 
play guns. That's going to be a conversation that I have with their friends and their friends as parents. They don't get the privilege of doing that. Um, I'm not a fan of them anyways, but I know that Nerf guns are fun for kids and they can't exist in our house. They will not get the same treatment of running around a neighborhood, especially if it's a white neighborhood, playing with Nerf guns. They're going to be viewed as more rambunctious and more problematic than they are with their white counterparts. And that is going to be my fear is when they are off doing their own thing and they're not in my house and it's not play dates with parents present of what that's going to be for them and how they're not going to have the privilege of being able to just get into, you know, harmless trouble. They're going to have to be on their A game and best behavior forever until this society changes and sees them as innocent children just playing like they see their white counterparts. And I think we don't understand that privilege, right? That mm -hmm. privilege of skin color. I mean, that exists mm -hmm. in 2021 and you said it perfectly. Yeah. And I see it. I'm lucky to take care of a very diverse population in my practice, but I see yeah. that difference even in that diversity, right? Like yeah. just how people of certain skin colors are viewed by the police, how they're yeah. viewed by authority figures at school. Yeah. I mean, there's a difference here. I mean, I see this in the healthcare system. You know, mm -hmm. I talk about that in episode 64 also. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge reality and it just does not seem fair. I can totally feel how that's so frustrating yeah. um, that, that you have to have those conversations. So you're having to have these conversations with your child when other parents are not even having conversations about racism. No. You know, it's such a privilege yeah. to not have to have a conversation with your child about how they can't mm -hmm. play with guns, like mm -hmm. toy guns, yeah. you know, and that's because of the color of your son's skin. And that's, yep. that's hard. Yep. Well, and it, it, you know, it might even have to go further of like play swords or play dives. Mm -hmm. Like you just don't know. And my girlfriend, Abby, she's black and she actually has twin boys too that are about that age. I think they just turned 10. And we talk about it all the time, the conversations she has with her boys of like, sorry, you don't get to just go run the neighborhood with your friends. You mm -hmm. just don't get to do that. And um, you don't get to be loud and be silly and, you know, you, you have to yeah. be on your best behavior because if anything accidentally happens, accidentally breaks, if, you know, a friend of yours steals something from a store or they're going to look at you first, you are going to be yeah. to blame first. And that's just such a sad, sad reality. And I pray that there's more change that happens before they get to that age. But I'm also very realistic of like, we have a long ways to go. We really do. We have a very long ways to go. And until we get to that point, we're going to be seen as the strict parents. You know, unfortunately, mm -hmm. we're going to be seen as the strict parents. And that's okay, because we're going to have those conversations that will never stop in our household so that our children can be safe and can be aware of their surroundings and understand that they do not get the same privileges as their white counterparts, even if they had a bunch of other black friends. I mean, imagine that a big yeah. group of, you know, five, six, seven, 10 year old black boys running the street. What does that look like? You know, I've seen it. Yeah. I live in yeah. I've seen it. I've heard it on the news. You know, I've experienced it with my biological brothers. It's just, they don't get the same privilege. They don't get the same childhood, which just breaks my heart. And you mentioned that you and your husband are looking to see if you need to relocate. And yeah. that to me mm -hmm. makes me so sad. I mean, yeah. I know that you're doing the best thing for your family and I love that, but the fact that we cannot have, yeah. that we have to have diversity, there's diversity pockets in this, exactly. in this um, country um, is very frustrating. And I know it exists all over the world. You know, I know uh, this is not a problem that's unique to America, but of course we're yeah. in America. So we're talking about it. And that 
I know this is just one podcast. I know this is just one episode, but that's kind of why I started a mother's message, not only yeah. to share stuff about, you know, we're talking about raising black boys in America, but just the diversity that's needed and the awareness and acceptance, right? Not just mm-hmm. understanding that this problem exists in America, but what can we mm-hmm. do to change it? You know, like what can mm-hmm. we do to actually say, I don't want to raise a generation that is continuing the cycle of racism and microaggressions. I mean, that is our role as parents. Right. And even if this was done to you, like just say, you know, you're, you said you had family members who made racist comments, right? Mm-hmm. Just because their parents said it to them doesn't mean that we have to continue right. the cycle of racism. I mean, we right. are adults. We have control over what we do. Mm-hmm. How do you think um, non-Black parents can support you and other black parents in the parenting world. And I, you know, being on social media, I'm going to be perfectly honest. There are not a lot of black voices on social media. There is not a lot of people of color as parenting voices on social media. And it does frustrate me sometimes because I'm an Indian American woman trying to share, you know, that perspective, but what can we do? Like, what are you thinking? Like, yeah, some ways we can like change that. You know, I think that the conversations start in the homes, whether you have children or not. If we're friends, I want to have open and real conversations without the defensiveness of my experiences and to believe my experiences. And in turn, I want those conversations to be happening with your children. You know, if our kids are friends, there needs to be conversations about, okay, let's look. You're, you know, Kais and Sylvie and Myra are black. You are white. Here's what that means. Here's what you need to do as a friend to support, to advocate, to understand that they are going to be treated differently. That is my ultimate goal. You know, right now it's a little bit different because they're still young. And I have great friends in my circle right now that are white and are raising some beautiful, kind, soul, anti-racist, you know, children right now. And that's going to change. Their circle is going to change specifically when we get into school. And so just thinking about how parents, but also coaches, also teachers, like the fact that I have to do like calculations in my mind of where we will send them to school and and Mm -hmm. what their teachers will look like, you know, just believing our experiences and doing the work as white people to be true allies, not just what you know, they believe to be allies, not just, oh, I label myself as an ally um, because I'm not racist. Like it goes beyond that is really what will be helpful for me as a parent um, navigating this very white centric world and trying to make sure that my children have the best childhood and into adulthood until they can get to a point where they can make those decisions and understand how they need to advocate for themselves, you know, when I don't need to do it anymore. Oh, yeah. And we know that racism is too, I mean, there's so many different facets to it, but obviously there's systemic racism, but there's these racism that we as human beings and as people are involved in. And we obviously can change systemic racism by the people we vote in and the big right. decisions that are made, but it starts with the home, like you said. And yes. um, I, I so appreciate you saying that, you know, I want that for all of our children. Mm-hmm. Um, diversity comes in mm-hmm. so many forms. And mm-hmm. in terms of this, like this is something that we need to change to allow children to have that same quality of life, the same ability to do things regardless of their skin color. I mean, it, it's, right. it still boggles my mind that right. we are in a modern age and it still exists. And right. again, I just appreciate you talking to me about this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think about it and compare it to like, you know, parents, I hope are having conversations when they see people of different abilities, you know, like we mm-hmm. talk a lot about our kids will see a wheelchair and they'll see a motorized wheelchair, they'll see a motorized scooter. And we talk about like, you know, some kids need help walking and, you know, we support them. And, you know, I think a lot of parents 
usually lean on that. Like, oh, if someone's different, you know, we treat them with respect and whatever. Like those same conversations need to happen with people that are a different color skin, you know, because they're also going to face discrimination. They're also going to face bullying or whatever the case may be because of how they look and how they identify and diversity is a lot of things. Um, You know, I know we're talking specifically about race, but we have those conversations with our kids now. You know, they'll be like, oh, there's a mobility bus, you know, so-and-so is getting on a mobility bus because, you know, they're in a wheelchair and they need help walking. Like we have those conversations as they flow just as easy as our conversations about your skin is black and their skin is white and here's what it's going to look like for you. And here are the challenges that you may face because of that. Yeah. Oh gosh, this is such a great conversation. I am so glad that we were able to connect. And like I said, everyone needs to follow the Nidra on social media, raising the roots boys. I'm attaching it to my show notes because I really think, you know, again, I'm just so glad I found you. When I had reached out to followers, you know, if anyone wanted to come on, obviously I didn't know your account. You've been following me, but then I saw your account. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And not just from what this perspective of what we're talking about, but everything regarding Mm -hmm. motherhood, um, your IVF journey. So thanks again. um, And thank you for everyone who joined us to listen today. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. As always, please leave a review share this episode with a friend, share it on your social media. Make sure to follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel, Pete's Doc Talk TV. We'll talk to you soon. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.